I'm AC Brown, and you're listening to Is My Aura On Straight, a podcast designed to help you start living from your core instead of your conditioning. Each week, we'll have deep conversations that will help you create a powerful transformation that shifts your perspective in life, love, and business with topics ranging from spiritual self-development, human design, astrology, metaphysics, and everything in between. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Is My Aura On Straight? I am your host, AC Brown. I am your psychic channel and spiritual guide. And I want to thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Is My Aura On Straight? In this episode, which is part of our communication series, I talked to the amazing Bevy Smith. For those of you who don't know, Bevy Smith is a projector 3.5, just like myself, and she is absolutely phenomenal. Um, Bevy's career is literally a projector career. And we talk about this on the episode, how before she even knew she was a projector, how the invitations and how communicating for herself in these different roles really took her career to the next level each and every time. Bevy is born and raised in Harlem and has a career that spans decades, starting in fashion advertising from Vibe Magazine to Rolling Stone. She also was part of the trio for the acclaimed um, show Fashion Queens, which was on Bravo, but now she is an author and her book, Bevelations, Lessons from a Mother, Auntie, Bestie is phenomenal. And me and Bevy talk about her career and how she has gotten from where she started to where she is now and all of the ups and downs that projectors experience. And during that time when she was, I guess, in a, I would say a projector kind of in-between space, she came up with this amazing idea using her connects and her industry relationships to have this really super talked about dinner with Bevy series that was the like just the bee's knees around town in the entertainment industry the life just everything it was just phenomenal but I've never been to one yet I'm putting that out there however we talk about all of those things and her book is phenomenal so Take a listen to myself and Bevy Smith. So is your aura on straight? Today? (laughs) In general. In general, is my aura on straight? I like to think most days, I I think probably 75% of the time, my aura is on straight. Okay, that's good. And so when you say 75% of the time, how do you get it to 100 Oh, gosh. Well, you know, well, maybe it's a little bit more than 75. Maybe we'll give it a spicy 85. But how did we get it to 100? I think that, you know, um, there's so many factors that come into play, and a lot of them are outside factors. Um, Like, you know, I have a 93-year-old mom. So if there's things going on with her that I'm worried about, 
you know, my aura is going to be a little tilted, you know. Um, you know, there are things that, like, external things that go on that kind of affect me. And it's really more to do with family stuff than anything else. Or, you know, sometimes you're feeling a little melancholy or, you know, you're still going through some shades of grief. I really do believe that most of us are going to be grieving 2020 for many years to come. Um, and I don't think that everyone's like kind of acknowledging that, that what happened to us in the global pandemic, which by the way is still going on, um, will affect us for the rest of our lives. And um, um, that's why I'm in therapy now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And I think that a lot of us need to kind of take a moment and acknowledge what happened to us in 2020 and acknowledge that we were like shut in, even if we were spending time with, even if we were, you know, cohabitating with family or, you know, loved ones or what have you, you know, that was still a really drastic thing that happened to us. Um, And then a lot of us experienced loss in the middle of that as well. So I think that that's, the kind of stuff when I say like my aura is on like 85% of the time, I think that there are moments where I am, um, I know I'm, I'm changed from 2020. I am changed okay. from that, that year. Yeah. I think we all are changed. And I mean, I'm glad that you did bring that up as far as everybody's aura. It's probably not at a hundred percent and we all have to do something to get it to a hundred percent. So yeah. I know a little bit about your kind of self-awareness and spiritual awakening based off of your book, Revelations, which if you don't have it, you will need to go get it and read it or listen to it. So my question to you is, when did you realize you wanted to be more self-aware and or like, when do you believe that you had like your kind of first spiritual awakening throughout your kind of life? Um, I really do believe that i Realized that I needed to be more self-aware um, when I was um, when I actually got out of the relationship that I thought I was going to um, marry the guy and you know he was going to be in charge of my happiness, um, which is a very odd thing for someone like me who is so thoroughly independent and someone who is so self-aware now. But back then, when I was in my late twenties, early thirties. And I talk about this in detail in the book, Revelations, Lessons from a Mother, Auntie Bestie. Um, I talk about the fact that being with this guy, I put so much of um, my care in his hands. Um, and I literally um, really depended on him for my happiness. And which, you know, now I know, of course, that that's a ridiculous concept. Um, but when we broke up, that's when I realized that I need to work on myself. And I had to take a really long, hard look at the way I had been moving through life, but more specifically, how I've been moving through relationships. And what I found out is that I had been moving in relationships in a very predatory manner. Um, it was not a lot based on mutual love and respect. It was really um, coming from a very self-absorbed, and selfish space. And when I came to grips with that, that was like such a wide open, you know, awakening of my spirit because I was like, wow. All this time I've been kind of feeling like 
he was the bad guy. And it's not to say that he didn't do certain things to me that were less than great. Um, but um, you reap what you sow. And I entered into that relationship and many other relationships with um, not a very caring and um, reciprocal spirit. And so when I did that kind of uh, self-awareness work on, my, on myself, it really did change my life. And it started me on the path that I've been on now for the last 20 some odd years. And it's been really great to know thyself, you know. No, that's amazing. And do you think that, because, well, you know, for those of you who are listening, Bevy is a projector three, five, like myself. Um, and uh, she's learned about her human design. Was there a point where you felt not just in that relationship and other relationships where you felt undervalued? And how did you handle that? Because it sounds like after having that awakening from that relationship and other things that happened in your life career wise, where, at what point did you feel undervalued or if you even felt undervalued, what did you do about that? How did you navigate that? I don't think so much with the relationship with him that I felt, I think at the time I felt undervalued, but I, I now looking back, that was not the issue. The issue was that I came into it with less than noble intention. But the times when I have felt undervalued have been in, in my professional space, for sure. You know, in particular, my last TV gig, I felt very undervalued. And, of course, at this point, you know, I really do know how to speak up for myself. I know how to advocate for myself. Um, but because I was at this point, 52 years old, I was just like, why am I still going through this? Why am I fighting to be seen or for my, for my opinion to be valued? It was just ridiculous to me because I, I did understand exactly what I brought to the table. I understood what an asset I was. And I think that uh, certain people there did as well. But what I have learned is that people will oftentimes, they would rather, you know, cut off their nose to spite their face simply just to put you in your place, your perceived place. Wow. Um, and I felt like that was, there was a lot going on, a lot of that going on in that space as well. You know, I felt like, and that happened to me at Vibe Magazine as well, you know, because I have a very strong personality and I have a very strong sense of self and oftentimes um, people that you know I always work with people and oftentimes people want you to work for them mm. and I'm, I'm not really I'm into a collaborative space versus a boss employee space like you could have a bigger title you can make more money but I'm also a valued part of a team and um so we work together and that's the way i like to position um you know my my work life my professional life and i i definitely have encountered people who wanted me to kind of bow down and i don't mind giving anyone their props i don't mind like i said i'm into a team spirit i'm into a collaboration but i don't worship false idols Okay, that makes sense. So when when it comes to that collaborative kind of jing and you not working for 
people and working with them? How do you communicate your needs and how did you do that in your various career roles? Because as a um, and you've been around the block several times, especially in your fields, many projectors that I talk to um, have issues sometimes communicating what they want because, you know, someone saw them for the career role or, you know, for the job and they don't know if another opportunity is coming next. So how do you communicate or how did you communicate those needs as you were climbing the ranks? Wow. As I was climbing the ranks, you know, it's so funny, AC, because as a projector, you know, oftentimes, you know, well, most times just the best things in life come to us. So, you know, while I was, ascending in my career, I I didn't really have to really ask for much. I was just given so many great opportunities time and again. And it really wasn't until I decided to change my life at the age of 38 to leave my position as the fashion um, advertising director at Rolling Stone to pursue this TV media career that I have now. It wasn't until then that I actually began to chart my career course. And then I was very intentional about what kind of opportunities I I accepted. I became a lot more discerning. You know, I think there's, you know, I think there comes a time in everyone's life when we stop just taking things because people want to give it to us. And then we have to start looking at it and saying, but do I even really want that? Just because someone wants to give me something doesn't mean I want to receive it. Doesn't mean I want to take it. Oh, you know, and it's so funny because now that I'm talking to you, I remember when that happened to me um, as on the club scene as a party girl. And in my book, I talk about being Big Bad from Uptown, which was my party girl persona. And I was like the, like the belle of the ball on the hip hop scene. And um, I remember when I started aging out of that space and a lot of things happened to let me know I was aging out. But one thing really stands out as I'm talking to you, it was when, I stopped saying yes when people wanted to buy me bottles of champagne in the club. Cause I was like, yeah, I'm already drunk. <laughs> I don't need any more champagne. <laughs> because for so many years, I would just take the bottle. Cause like, who's going to turn down a bottle of $500 champagne? And, and, and then when I started getting older and wiser, I was like, okay, well, that's just you trying to feed an ego. Like you're, mm. you're about you know what I mean? You're you're using that as a kind of notch on your belt that you like amassed five bottles of five hundred dollars champagne in one night at the club. Like that's all just ego based. But what is it doing to you? You know what I mean? And and who do you have to even put up with and chat with so that you can like be gifted with quote fingers with air quotes um, this bottle of champagne? And so I think that for me in my career, once I left Rolling Stone, I became very intentional about what I started saying yes to. That makes so much sense. And, um, you know, as a projector, the signature for us, every aura type has a signature, but for a projector, it's a success. So it sounds like, and especially reading your book, a lot of the things that happen with projectors is that we start chasing external success and then it doesn't matter. And then we find out that, oh, we have to chase internal success. That's what's important. Internal success and external success are kind of running themes for projectors. And from your book and what I know of your career, 
a lot of, if you were looking from the outside, you had a lot of external success. But when did that stop being enough for you? And when did you okay. start chasing internal success? Right. Okay. So I realized that the external success wasn't enough when I looked around and realized that with all the trappings of, you know, sitting front row at fashion shows and having access to all this high-end fashion stuff that folks could only dream of and, you know, flying here, there, in the next place and kind of living a dream life for most people, especially folks on the outside looking in. I realized around, if I'm being honest, I actually realized that I wasn't very happy with my high-flying career around 28 years old. I just didn't know what to do. But I did quit my job in a pursuit of trying to figure out what it was that I really wanted to do. And that's how I got the Vibe magazine. I quit my advertising agency job and just tried to figure out things. I was like, maybe I want to do events. Maybe I want to do PR. Maybe I want to be a writer. And it's so interesting because my later incarnations in life, I've actually done all those kind of things, you know, never really being a publicist, never being an event planner, never being solely a writer. But I've, those are all elements of, of the things that I've come to do later on in life. But at 28, I thought, oh, maybe I should try this. I should try that. And I was just like trying to figure it out in the world. I was still hedging my bets, though, because I mm. did not and dare speak the words. I'm a creative, I'm an artist, no. So I'm hedging my bets and I get the Vibe magazine and I find this job where my professional world and my personal life collide in the most beautiful way. I'm able to be a fully black girl from Harlem and I don't have to explain anything to anyone because I'm working in a predominantly black space for the first time in my life. And it was like Wakanda forever. It was the most magical uh, scenario that one could ever imagine as a black person. Working in a space that is all black and you're moving forward black culture. And you're doing it with a large budget. You know what I mean? So it's not like crappy <laughs> and you're putting it together with duct tape. It's like, no, it's it's all, you know, first class everything. And it was really a magical thing. And I was so happy. And then I realized that I really wasn't after a few years. And that was a really tough thing to, to even reckon with. And I really did rebuke that idea that I wasn't happy for such a long time. Because if I'm not happy being the fashion and beauty advertising director of Vibe Magazine and making, you know, $250,000 a year in like the early 2000s, like, what is wrong with me? Right. And it was then that I began to try to figure out what would make me happy. And I went through a lot of different uh, kind of uh, ideas in my head. I tried to pitch um, my boss at Vibe, a lot of different things that I could do at Vibe, because I didn't want to leave that perfect space. You know, it was idyllic. For me, you know, it was just, like I said, Wakanda, and I didn't want to leave. I had family there. And then it was finally, the rubber hit the road when um, I uh, 
got an offer from Rolling Stone and Bob refused the counter. And so then I left. And going to Rolling Stone was the best thing that could have happened to me. And that's why I always say to people, you know, man's rejection is God's protection, you know? Mm. I really do believe in that because Vibe Magazine would not even attempt to counter what Vibe, I mean, what Rolling Stone was offering me. And so I left. And if I had stayed at Vibe Magazine, I probably would not be on the phone with you today because I don't think that I would have been the person, the TV host, the writer, the radio host, the world traveler in the way that I am. I don't think I would have been that had I stayed at five. Going to Rolling Stone made me very uncomfortable, and it was a very unhappy environment for me. So um, when I went there, I went there with the intention of quitting once I got my bonus check at the end of the year. And because it was such a bad work environment, even though they were paying me so much money, it was still easy for me to leave because I was like, no, no, no. No matter how much money they pay you, this is a miserable place for someone like you to work. Mm. And so, so it was it was really one of those things where vibe not countering really did change the trajectory of my career and of my life. And how did you feel about that, like emotionally, when that happened? Because it was Wakanda for you, and then they, in a way. Yes, it was God's protection, but what was that moment like? Where, like, what did you feel like? Wow, my Wakanda is turning me, doesn't want me per se, or they yeah. don't want to, you know what I mean? Yeah, they didn't want to fight for me. They didn't want to fight for me. I was devastated. I didn't want to leave. I had no intention on leaving Bob to go to Rolling Stone. I was using that as a way to get them to counter, and I didn't even want them to counter with money, AC. I wanted them to give me a new position where I didn't have to do ad sales. I was like, oh, I want to do something else that's more creative. And I thought, oh, if I tell them that this other magazine wants me, they won't want me to leave Vibe because I am the keeper of all the keys when it comes to fashion. If I go, so does the fashion. And I thought that that was, you know, I thought that that was enough of, of a currency for them. But when they said, thank you so much for everything that you've done, but we cannot match Rolling Stone's offer. And I had too much pride to say, oh my gosh, but wait, you don't have to match it. Um, right. <laughs> I had too much pride to say, well, wait a minute. I just, I don't want to actually leave. I, I just want you guys to like, let me do something else. I was not going to beg them. To right. Get- let me stay. And then I, I just left. But I was devastated, yeah. Do you, th- I mean, looking back, yes, you, everything turned out the way it was. Do you think that it would have done you good if you could have communicated that you didn't want to leave? Like, what stopped you from that? Did Did it feel like you were begging? Did you feel disrespected? I I felt like yeah, I felt like that was very disrespectful to not counsel someone who was solely responsible. You know, of course, I, there was a team in place, but I was the face of luxury fashion for Vibe. And I felt like, okay, so you do not value the fact that I am the only 
person literally in the world who has ever been able to secure luxury advertising in a black magazine, you don't think that's worth anything? You don't think that's worth a conversation? And in my book, I talk about it. I'm like, so then I was Petty LaBelle. I was Tom Petty and Heartbreakers. And I lived in Petticoat Junction. And so when I left Vibe, I took all that advertising with me. No more Do you regret for, that? No more product for them. No more Dior for them. Y'all see what y'all can get on your own now. Do you regret that? Regret what? <laughs> petty? No. <laughs> no. They were petty. They were petty. For they were. Not, they were. They were petty for not countering. They were short-sighted for not countering. So, no. I don't, you did no. what you had to do. <laughs> I have no regrets about that. None. I'm a Scorpio, so vengeance is mine. <laughs> so, after Rolling Stone and everything, you went through some things and you got this ultimate invitation. And I want to talk about this invitation, um, which was, you know, or, you know, still is, and we'll see what you're going to do with it in the future. What, but Jenna with Bevy, can you explain how that happened? Because the projectors, you know, that waiting or waiting for the invitation or in the meantime, kind of space and, a lot of projectors can't handle that, but I love this because your story when it comes to Jenna with Bevy, because if projectors just understand the waiting process is not really waiting, it's sort of like allowing, I like to say, allowing God to put the pieces to the puzzle together. And then you get this like big door opening. So how was that like with Jenna with Bevy? Because you were in a really interesting space. You didn't know what was going on. And then boom, it kind of came to you. It like just, it was like yours for the taking. Yeah. So that's the broke but blissful part of my life where I am literally, I've quit Rolling Stone and I've set out to do TV and to write. And I'm doing both of those things. I'm doing BT and E and VH1, all these different list shows, you know, the fabulous life of blah, blah, blah. I'm doing those shows and people are loving me on TV. And when I'm going to housing court because I'm in the, the, being threatened with eviction, people are like, aren't you that lady from E? And I'm like, yes. And they're like, what are you doing here? I'm like, well, I'm trying not to get evicted. Okay. So, I mean, I didn't even have any shame about it because for me, I looked at the glass half full. I was like, oh my gosh. Here I am in housing court and people are recognizing me from TV. That means I'm on the right path. So, like I said, I'm broke, but blissful because I'm doing exactly what I quit my job to do. The money just has not caught up yet. So that's why Broke But Blissful is one of my favorite chapters because you can learn so much. Dinner with yeah, that's Bevy a favorite of mine too. <laughs> yeah. Dinner with Bevy came about because I was literally like broke no money anywhere in any bank account. All of them have been depleted. And I get an invitation to a dinner party at Nobu. Um, the Hugo Boss is hosting and has all the top fashion editors from all the big magazines and some really great brands, designer brands and all this, and they invite me. Now, if you're not from New York, you may not know what Nobu is, but it's a very expensive Japanese restaurant. So, and like it's owned by like Robert De Niro. So say like on average, $250 per person for dinner. So if you're broke, you're not really dining like that. So I was excited to be going to 
snowboarding, knowing that I would not have a bill at the end of the night. So I still had all of my fabulous clothes from my high flying life. So I put on a great outfit, carry a fabulous expensive handbag, you know. Have, I have the whole look. Of course, I have no money, but I don't look like I have no money. So I go on out. And I have the best time. And I realized in the room that I'm the only person with no professional accreditation. Like, I'm not Bevy Smith from Vibe or Rolling Stone or anywhere. I'm just simply Bevy Smith. I'm just like a person who has a lot of relationships and a lot of connections, but I don't have any kind of card that I can pull out of my wallet and say, this is why I'm here. So when I get ready to leave, I run into Omarion, and Omarion, um, when he had just left B2K, I had done a photo shoot with him at Vibe, and I dressed him in Dolce & Gabbana, and we had a great time, and we really liked each other. It was a great connection. So he's like, Bev, I've been looking for you. Where you been? And I was like, oh, my gosh, I was just at this dinner, and you should have been there. And it was like a light bulb went off, and I said, how in the hell would Amarion get in front of the editors from GQ and Esquire? And at the time, there was a magazine called Details. And how would he get in front of Hugo Boss or Prada or any of these brands? Like, that was back when, and this is the early 2000s, that was back when Black people didn't get into mainstream magazines and Black people did not um, even receive clothing, um, you know, loans from designer houses. They really didn't want us in their clothes. They didn't want us in their magazines. It was just like, if you weren't Will Smith or like Lauren Hill or Mary J. Blige, Lulu Kim, like you had to be a top upper echelon iconic superstar in order to get even inside of a magazine like that. Forget about even a cover. Like you think about it, Mary J. Blige has never had a cover of like a Vogue or Harper's Bazaar or anything like that. And how long has she been iconic? So that just goes to show you the mindset that we are dealing with in luxury fashion and in, uh, you know, mainstream publishing. And I realized that I'm the person who can get Omarion and other black stars in front of these mainstream magazines and in front of these mainstream luxury fashion houses. And that's how I come up with the idea for dinner with Bevy. And I simply use my Rolodex. I'm like, I have great relationships with music people and great relationships in fashion. And I'm going to merge the two. And I did that. And it was wildly successful. And it was the first time that, you know, uh, many Black artists have been fed in that way, that they had had, like, you know, a beautiful dinner party in their honor, you know, and I did dinners for everyone from, like, Kerry Washington to Idris Elba to uh, Pharrell, um, you know, just lots and lots of people. And, yeah, they were really quite amazing. And I still do them, but now I do them, you know, it's expanded. I do them a lot for big brands. I do them for philanthropic endeavors and things like that. So, but, yeah, that idea just kind of came to me, and then it helped sustain my life. And that was just like a pivotal kind of moment because it helped you transition through the different changes of your media career, I'm sure. Yeah, it did. It was, um, well, you know, what I realized is that later on, when I did get Fashion Queens and when I did get Page 6 TV and when I did get Bevelations, my Sirius XM show, um, it meant that 
because so many celebrities had come to a dinner with Bevy, I had really great, great connections. And people wanted to be on the show that I was on, or they trusted me to, you know, to come to an event and not tell tales out of school, but still be in attendance and, you know, just have access. So because of Dinner with Bevy, I have really great access with a lot of great celebrities, which obviously comes in very handy for the kind of work that I do. Right. And speaking of the work that you do, you are now an author. And how has an author changed your visibility, like to get invitations to other things that you desire in your career? What is that like being an author now? I got to tell you, I don't know yet because we, I I became an author in the middle of the pandemic. So I, I can't say, you know, what it has done yet. It's a weird thing. I only had so much access already. I will say that I did do two things that were really exciting for me. I was a part of the moth, which is a really iconic kind of like, it's like a TED talk, but it's not rooted in business. It's rooted in creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I was able to do because I'm an author. Um, and I did something else called the meteor. And, and that's, again, something where it's like all about conversations and it's people that are doing storytelling. And I think because I have a book, people now recognize me as a storyteller. And so that's very cool. But those are the things so far that I, I think I've seen kind of change based on being an author. Right. And so since you said you haven't really fully got the full author experience, I'm sure that it's going to evolve as time goes on, because now you do have this kind of like story and this staple, like this is me. Here's who I am. And even though people did know, I think the book is fabulous. It just there's so many lessons in there that are just mind blowing, just especially for me. (laughs) So, And then, you know, you being a projector and how your career has happened. So when what do you say after you've gotten invitations to ensure more invitations when you know, like, wow, this is, was, was a big opportunity. How can I kind of keep that energy flowing to me? How do you feel about like when you get invitations and what do you do to maintain the energy that comes along with it? Well, you know, you're not always going to be able to maintain the energy, right? You know, sometimes... Yes. <laughs> you're going to just be exhausted and drained and you're going to do your absolute very best. And it's not always going to measure up to, you know, what you would want it to be, you know? And so I'm very, I'm very, very, very kind to myself on that level. Right. So like today I'm literally exhausted because I had my first post COVID work trip. And I said yesterday on social media, I could not believe how tired I was from a three-day trip to Nashville. And all I did was go to a black tie gala, which when I found out it was black tie, I was devastated because I was like, wow, I don't think I'm ready out of the pandemic to go into black tie because that's such an intense kind of dress code. You know, a gown and an evening bag and your makeup and the hair. I mean, that's a lot. Right, and the shoes, all of that. The shoes, all of that. So I was like, okay, so that's big. And then the second day I was there, I had a panel discussion. I wasn't even moderating. I was just simply a panelist, um, you know, with a conversation with my friend, Misa Hilton. And, and I was like, okay. 
And then the third day I did my book signing. But I was exhausted the entire time I was there. And I think it's because I'm not used to that kind of movement anymore. I think I'm just not used to that level of exertion anymore. Because Yeah, that sounds know, like a lot of work. Yeah, but it's not. Like in my old life, that's such a light schedule. But the new life, you didn't have to get dressed up in that way. Like, yeah, sure, to do, you know, you know, uh, was it Zoom panels and things like that, you had to, you know, make sure your glam is done and, you know, you put on a pretty top. But on the bottom, you could have on sweatpants. You didn't have to put on heels. You didn't have to go anywhere. It's the moving about that, like, exhausted me. And, I mean, Nashville, I'm a person who... You know, and 2019 probably flew about 150,000 miles. And now a Nashville trip, which is like a two-hour flight, exhausted me. I'm like, oh, my God. I got to get my sea legs. <laughs> right. No, I mean, but work is different now because life has changed for all of us. So yeah. that sounds like an exhausting trip compared to, you know, to 2019. Yes, that was probably normal for you. But now that's exhausting. Just the dressing and then the panel and then you got to sign books like that just sound like a lot of energy going out. It was a lot of energy going out. But to get back to your original question, I am kind to myself. So I don't beat myself up when I'm not as engaging as I know I can be. I try mm -hmm. to always up and I try to always make sure that I'm connecting in some way, but there are some days that I'm better at it than others, and that's going to have to just be okay. Um, but one of the ways that um, for me that I do when I am feeling 100% and I'm like really in my zone, um, I really try to take people in as humans, and I really, um, I think one of my gifts is that I'm really actually interested in other people you know there's a whole group of folks that kind of ask the question and are only waiting for the response so that then they could you know speak some more and for me i found that one of the reasons why i'm a good interviewer is because when i ask someone a question i'm not moving on in my head i'm like literally there with the person and i'm taking them what they have to say and i'm engaged with what they have to say and people can read that and they can feel that and that's why i think um that's where the connectivity comes from and i think that that's why i've been given so many different opportunities in life that makes total sense i mean because your bevelation show once um is really good and it's engaging and you do make people feel like they're at home and they're just hanging out with you instead of being interviewed. So yeah, that is a great skill. So when we talk about, you know, just life in general and transitioning, um, you're a three, five and <laughs> three fives, you know, there's a lot of, you know, trying things out, experiencing them, and then being done with them. How do you transition from one thing to the next when something has run its course for you? Um, I don't even know. I've never looked at, I've never really analyzed the transition. I just simply know when I'm done with something. Like, I'm not going to say I'm done with being a TV host, 
Um, but what I will say is that it's no longer my great burning desire. Like, you know, I think that from being an author, and I think there's going to be great opportunities to come from that. But I also think that now that I am putting more energy into becoming an actress, that that will even open up more opportunities for me as a host. So I'm now in this space putting a lot of energy into Bevy Smith, the author, Bevy Smith, the actress, and pursuing other things outside of just being a host. Okay. So that's kind of like how I've pivoted in life. You know, I just refocus my energy and my intentions. And, um, you know, I can, you know, it's so funny because with fashion, you know, I can do it with my eyes closed. It's not something that I'm particularly that passionate about anymore, but I will utilize my fashion knowledge and my fashion relationships probably until the day I die because it's just something that I can do and I do it well. And it's something that is in demand. And so, yeah, if it can help me get to the next, sure, I'll do it. It's not like I hate it. It's just that I'm not any, I'm no longer passionate about it. Right. That makes sense. And so what do you think is your, you know, with acting, what would be the biggest thing that could happen to you with that you would desire? You know, I would really love to become a really great character actor. Mm, okay. I would love to become a great character actor. There, I don't know a lot of great black women who are character actors. I think that before Viola Davis became a superstar, she was an amazing character actor. I think, you know, for men, there's, you know, there's, Jeffrey Wright is a great character actor. You know, now he's starting to get a lot of leading roles as well. But I like people that their roles are oftentimes seen as supporting roles, but their stories are so pivotal to moving the overall story of the film or the TV show. They, their, their roles are pivotal in the movement um, of right. the story, of, of the narrative. And, so and they become so it. integral in that story that they can't even like if they re- if you remove them, the story doesn't make sense. That type of role. Exactly. Exactly. And so I would love to hone my my skill and hone my craft enough that I become a go to person in that regard. Like, you know, I, uh, you know, the late great Philip Seymour Hoffman was a character actor like bar none, like. He would just pop into a, a film and it just, he would come on screen and he would light it up and then he would go away. Yeah. I would love I, I look at Ruby D and what she did in American Gangster. You know, mm. that thing where she slapped Denzel and reads in the riot act. That's what got her nominated for an Oscar, you know, the best supporting actress. I would love to do that kind of work. It's subtle. It's oftentimes really quiet. But but it's pivotal. It's integral. It's so impactful. Yeah. 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 So I know that that's a weird thing to think about for me because I'm so like out there and like, and I'm so, for many people, I seem larger than life, but I would love the opportunity to do some quiet, beautiful work. 
You would actually you know, be really amazing at it because you in your day-to-day life you are so much you know you have this bigger than life personality you're you know bed from uptown you're you know you're you have a all a personality and a persona already that when people see you in those type of roles they're going to be mind-blowing I'm like oh my gosh look who showed up yeah. you know it's going to be a very different yeah it's just going to be different for you and it's going to look really good whatever you do play or whoever you play Thank you. Yes, I'm. I'm looking forward to it. And it's well, it's going to happen. Yes, I believe it will. I believe it will. I. I mean, I'm. I'm. Um. I am. I look at Tammy Roman and I look at Candy. Um, Burris. Candy Burris is like amazing on the shot. She's doing such great work, and I'm so happy for her. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to call her until I want her on my show because. What she's doing on the shy, I'm just like, you go, girl. She is acting. And Tammy Roman is acting in the, the, she's doing a myriad of projects. And I'm just like, so happy to see these women who, you know, folks, um, you know, know from like reality TV and from being these big, bold personalities. It's lovely to see them doing this really great, grounded, solid work. Even my girl, Tasha Smith, who is an actress. You know, of course, and but you know, she's now directing, and she's directing all kinds of different projects and projects that are not necessarily, you know, like the Tasha Smith that many people come to expect from Why Did I Get Married? You know, what right. I mean? like she's part of, you know, um, our kind of people, which is all about the black upper class. She's directing, um, you know episode is that you know so i just look at folks and i'm like okay mm-hmm. i'm taking notes and, right you um, have examples so just I have examples. follow and look like oh they did it i can do it too so i think that's good yeah so to wrap this up i have a few more questions just three more and I always ask my guests this, um, especially since we've been through this year that we've been through. What, if you go back, what would you tell yourself last year this time? Oh, what I told myself this last year this time, this too shall pass. Okay. Okay. I like exactly that. What I, myself. I didn't tell myself a lot because I, I had no way of knowing what was going to happen, what was going to go on, what was going to transpire, but I knew this too shall pass. Okay. I love, I love that. And if you could go to next year this time, what would you want to tell yourself? Um, gosh, that's a good one. I, I don't know. Like, you did that? I don't know. It's like... Um, <laughs> you I did what not, needed to be done. <laughs> yes, you know, but I try not to get too far ahead of myself. I do try to just kind of like take it day by day. You know, we can all have goals and aspirations, but I try not to, even like with my vision boards and stuff, like I, I like a good broad stroke because I like to leave room for the universe to do its work. Mm, I like that. Okay. Yeah. That's so a good you, tip. If, okay. Yeah. So if you broad stroke it, then I do believe that it, it, it kind of enables the universe to come in and really paint in the details in magical, wonderful ways that you couldn't even have dreamed of. 
you know, I'm, I'm really, and I'm being very intentional and open like that when it comes to my love life. I am like, I'm leaving it very open about the guy, what he looks like, what he does. I know how I want him to make me feel. Mm. And I know what he wants us to have. But as far as like, you know, I would love for him to have a large penis. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would love for him to, to, to do incredibly well, well financially. I would love for him to be well-traveled. I would love for him to be, um, you know, from a big family that he's very close with. So, you know, those are, those are things that I would love. But what if the, what if the guy comes along and he's an only child and he is a furniture maker and he loves what he does and he's well-respected in his industry and he does well for himself, but he's not wealthy. You know, what if he lives in Nashville, Tennessee? You know, it, it, it could be a myriad. What if he's a white guy? What if he's an Indian guy? So I'm just trying to remain open in the same thing with like the career stuff too. You know, I have broad strokes. I know acting is very, very important to me. And so I'm just, saying that, and I know that there are certain types of roles that I don't want to do, so I'll decline those if, if I'm offered them, but other than that, I'm like, okay, let's remain open, and let's see mm. what the universe has in store for me. I love that, and that's important for us to remain open, and with that being said, what do you believe is your superpower? <sighs> I am resilient, and I'm also, I'm resilient, and I'm an optimist. And so I think that those are my superpowers, because I am a person who can get back up time and again, and I can um, stay the course. And I think that, you know, we've seen in life, you know, success really does come down to who sticks to it, who sticks at mm-hmm. it, you know, look at it, you know. I often say, you know, in my book, I talk about the fact that it took seven years from Rolling Stone to get Bravo's fashion queen. So if I quit that journey at year five or even year six, I'm like one year away from Bravo's fashion queens, which, by the way, changed my life because it solidified me as a TV host. Mm. But if I quit at year six and I go back and I get a job at a magazine or, you know, in some kind of fashion entity, then I'm, I'm, I'm not even this person. I'm not on the phone with you. I'm not this person you're chatting with. I don't have a book. I have a lot of money. I am a very successful fashion person in some kind of realm. And I'm probably very fucking miserable. So my tenacity and my optimism, that's my superpowers. And that's what keeps me aligned and that's what keeps me moving forward. And as long as I'm moving forward, I know I'm on the journey to get to where I really want to go. The destination is unknown, but I trust that when I get there, it'll be everything I wanted and then some. I love that. Thank you so much. So what's next for you? Where can people find you? Where do you want them to check you out at? Oh, Revelations on SiriusXM. 
my daily um, radio show. Of course, bevysmith.com. And then, of course, you should buy my book, Revelations, Lessons from a Mother, Auntie Bestie. Five-star rated. It's good on Amazon. People are loving it. And, um, yeah, it's got really great life lessons in there. And I bear my soul. I share it with you. So that's it. Thank you so much, Bevy, for doing this. I totally appreciate you for this. You're welcome, um, baby. I love you. You are such an inspiration to me and your book is phenomenal and I'm so thankful for you. Thank you, baby. I hope you all enjoyed listening to that episode with Bevy Smith. You can find Bevy on Instagram and Twitter at Bevy Smith. And you can also listen to her radio show, which is on Radio Andy on Sirius XM. And it's called Bevelations, just like the title of her book. And make sure you pick up her book, Bevelations. You can listen to it on Audible or buy the book. It is phenomenal. It has so many gems about life and love and just being who you are and believing in yourself. So until next time, make sure you all have an amazing day filled with good vibes and great energy. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Is My Aura On Street. This podcast was produced by Callie Green and edited by Adam Ross. If you loved this episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Also, make sure you're following me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Until next time, bye-bye.